Welcome to Solutions OP Clinical Trials Podcast. My name is Olga and I'm the Managing Director of Solutions OP. We are a small team of experienced professionals working on clinical trials in the United Kingdom. I'll use our podcast to discuss hot topics in clinical trials and provide analysis of the latest trends and challenges in pharma and medical device industries, not just in the UK, but globally. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to, to the next episode of our podcast. Today I will talk uh, about uh, a very um, a good topic, uh, something that is very close to me. <laughs> uh, and I hope you'll find it interesting and insightful. Uh, and the topic today is uh, what is wrong with the UK Extended Access Programme? So for those of you who work in the industry, um, uh, you're probably familiar that um, when the drugs are not approved on the market, um, there are pathways basically in each country around the world uh, that you can access uh, these drugs and you can give them to patients as part of these expanded access or extended access, whatever you call it. It's, you know, it's basically the same logic. Uh, and um, this is a, a great way uh, to allow patients with rare diseases uh, to have access to treatment, which otherwise may not be available to them for many years, or, you know, they, they might not be alive to actually have access to this treatment when it's approved. So it's a, it's a great thing. I, I'm a great supporter of this program. Uh, and I've tried throughout the years to set up uh, uh, some uh, extended access uh, uh, programs for uh, for some clinical trial drugs, uh, but unfortunately unsuccessful. So today I'm, I will talk about this and um, uh, exactly discuss what the issue is uh, uh, with the extended access. So for, for those of you who... Um, um, who are not aware, in the UK we have uh, this uh, program which is called Early Access to Medicine Scheme and it's a partnership between the MHRA, NICE, uh, which are the price regulator, NHS England and NHS Improvement. And according to their current statistics on their website, um, uh, since the program was established back in 2014, they have treated over 1,200 patients. So you think probably that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is, uh, for the period of 2022 in the United States, they have treated um, 2,417 patients. So this is just for one year in the USA. And in the UK, for the period of 10 years, basically, we have treated 1,200 patients. <laughs> so you can think, okay, what's wrong? Why the patients in the US have access, much quicker access to, to such drugs? And, and uh, what is it that is not working in the UK? And um, yeah, th th this is the, the, the what I want to discuss today. So basically, before I start talking about the issues that we have in the UK, uh, in setting up uh, that kind of access program. I want to uh, just briefly tell you what is the process in the USA and uh, how do you set up uh, basically extended access uh, uh, for, for drugs which are used in clinical trials. So what is normally happening is um, you have a clinical trial, you have drugs which 
uh, have shown that they, they work well. The physicians can see that uh, uh, by participating in, in clinical trial and they've treated patients with this drug and, and they're quite happy with it. And they have other patients who meet the criteria of the clinical trial, but for whatever reason, they're not able to include them. You know, sometimes it's just because the recruitment is limited to a specific amount of patients. So even if you have a lot of patients, you might not be able to put all of them on the clinical trial to benefit from the drug. And in, in such cases, um, normally the physicians will reach out to the uh, pharma company and say, uh, okay, guys, can you give us some drugs because we have some other patients that might benefit from this treatment. We know it's not approved drugs, so can you kind of donate drug to us and uh, allow, um, allow us to use your drug in an extended access? Uh, and um, when this happens, in majority of the cases, companies are quite happy to support this request. Uh, there are some cases when they say no. Uh, and normally, um, these are small companies which have limited manufacturing uh, capacity. You know, the manufacturing drugs is expensive. So maybe they have, you know, limited supply that they've manufactured only for the clinical trial. They don't have any extra that they can donate to you. And in such cases, they might say no because, it, you know, it's very costly for them to manufacture additional just to donate them. Uh, but um, as I said, in, in majority of the cases, companies are quite happy. They say, yeah, go ahead. We can donate your drug. So then what, what do the physician do in the USA? Um, all they need to do is uh, create their own protocol for the treatment of these patients, submit the protocol to the uh, ethics committee and FDA, they need to, to get approval from the ethics committee and um, uh, go ahead from the FDA. So the approval from FDA is not like extended review, like from a clinical trial, they have a special, you know, form that they need to complete and send it to FDA. Generally, from what I saw in the statistics uh, on the FDA website, like 90%, even more than 90% of the requests are approved. And um, after that, um, sometimes um, uh, if they work on, on a clinical trial, they might already have supplies at the pharmacy. And in such cases, um, their pharmacy will just relabel the drug to say for compassionate use only. And, uh, and that's it they can give them to the patients and start treating them. Uh, and the only uh, difference is, is that it, because this is a, a drug which is not approved on the market, if there are any safety uh, signals, any adverse events, they need to report them to the sponsor uh, and to the pharma company. And that's it. I mean, it, the whole process, it could take them up to a month to get everything approved and up and running. So it's very quick and uh, a very straightforward and easy process. And now I'll tell you how this process works in the UK, and then you'll see where the issues are. So if you, again, you want to do the, the exact same thing, um, the, uh, the physician has to contact the pharma company to, to get approval for the extended access. Then the pharma company will have to support the physician to develop a protocol so basically, um, they need to support them to, to develop this, uh, this protocol. And then this needs to be submitted to MHRA and uh, Ethics Committee for approval. 
Um, of course, there are associated fees with you know uh, submitting um, uh, such request. Um, and also, uh, the pharma company um, has to provide label drugs to the site. So even if they have drugs at the pharmacy, they cannot simply relabel them. It's the pharma company who has to provide them drugs labeled for compassionate use only. So if it's a company outside of the Europe uh, uh, region, um, they need to have a local depot in Europe and they need to have a QP release of the drugs and, and all that. Uh, so basically, they need to provide them a fresh new batch of drugs um, just labeled for compassionate use only. And then, of course, they need to uh, report adverse events and, and so on to the pharma company. And the pharma company has to provide reports to the authorities, which is a kind of standard. And um, um, as you can imagine, probably you need to have some kind of contract between the company and the hospital. So that's another thing that needs to be sorted. So as you can see, the process in the UK is overly complicated. And um, <laughs> what happens is you're not just asking the pharma company to donate the drugs to you. You actually ask them to do the majority of the work for you to set up this uh, this um, uh, compassionate use program. Um, and uh, if you have uh, you know a smaller company, this means additional resources that need to be allocated just to do that. And at the end of the day, the pharma company does not benefit in any way from setting up this compassionate use. For them, it's just an expense. In 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 our case, where they have to you know, support you to develop the protocol, then do all the drugs labeling and so on and so on. So it, it, that all that adds a, a big cost to the company. And, um, and this is why, for example, in my case, when I tried to set up um, compassion use programs in the past, uh, the companies decided not to do it because they, they couldn't afford the additional cost and, uh, and they also they didn't have the resources to do it. And I think uh, uh, this is not a unique case. I think many companies um, face the exact same. Uh, they have to make a decision what to do because uh, if that compassionate use is going to cost you a lot of money, a lot more money, uh, then you you need to to decide if you really want to to go ahead and and do it. Um, another thing is that the whole process of getting all the approvals and setting up everything. Uh, you know, it, it could take you up to six months if you need to develop the protocol, get it through the approvals. It needs to go through different institutions. You need to get approved within the hospital and so on. So if you have a patient with a rare disease and that patient has a, a short life uh, expectancy of six months or so, you know, it might not be even worth starting the whole process because you might not be ready to give the, the patient the drug and, you know, they might pass away. Or it's, you know, just imagine this. It's crazy. You put all these efforts and, and then at the end, you know, the patient doesn't benefit from that at all. Uh, and uh, 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 as I said, it, 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 donating commercial drug... Uh, should be, uh, you know, a donating clinical trial drugs should be made more uh, more uh, easy and accessible. Another thing I wanted to mention is 
donating commercial drugs. For example, in clinical trials, sometimes um, we have like a commercial drug which is used as a comparator. And these commercial drugs very often uh, they're labeled for clinical trial use only. So even if we want to donate these drugs to be used by the hospital, you know, these are drugs which are commercially available. The only difference is they have a, a label for clinical trial use only. We can't do it because in the NHS there is associated cost with this donation. <laughs> so it's actually cheaper for them to destroy the drugs rather than take them and use them on the patients. And and sometimes they're very expensive drugs, which we think, oh, can we not just donate them to the hospital and they can use them for their patients because it's a commercial drug? But actually, no, the answer is no. Uh, and and um, I think um, it, it's just the, the whole process, the whole system is very bureaucratic and overcomplicated not just for um, uh, donating drugs which are uh, not approved on the market, but even if you want to, to donate commercial drug, which is used in a clinical trial as a comparator, it, it, it's not possible. It, it's like it's very expensive for the, for the hospital to do it. Uh, and uh, personally, I think this is wrong. And um, I think we need to optimize our system to make it more easy for uh, for our patients to have access uh, to, to this treatment. And what can we do? Uh, you know, I always give some practical advices on, on, um, on the podcasts. Um, I think reducing the bureaucracy is a big one. Uh, for example, if you have a drug which has already been approved in a clinical trial and is being used... Um, in several studies, even, you know, do you really need to go through all this lengthy approval process and get so many different in, um, agencies involved in the approval? Can you not speed this up and just reduce the uh, red tape a little bit and, you know, help this drug to be approved quicker? Um, the other thing is any extra fees, can we not waive these ones? Because to be honest with you, I think the benefit is a, a lot bigger when you allow companies to donate drugs because basically you don't have to pay for these drugs. They can just donate them and you can use them on your patients. Otherwise, you have to pay for them. And when I say you, I mean the government has to pay for them because in Europe we have the public health care system. So we are not allowing the companies to, to donate to compassionate use so that we can buy the drugs, basically, um, uh, and use the same drugs. So I don't understand why, <laughs> but, but this is how, how it works. Another thing is um, allow the pharmacy to relabel the drugs. At the moment, the, the limitations uh, uh purely procedural limitations that do not allow the pharmacy to do that kind of relabeling. So I don't see any issue why the pharmacy will not be able to put the label for, for compassionate use only and why do you need to import a drug specifically for, for this. Uh, and um, I think this will make it a lot quicker and straightforward if, if you can just use the stock which is already in the pharmacy sitting there. So instead of destroying this stock and asking them to send you a new one for, for the compassionate use. Because this is what happened to me when I tried to, <laughs> to set up a, 
um, uh, compassionate use. Basically, this is what they said. They said, oh, yeah, we have the stock here in the pharmacy, but we can't relabel it. So we can destroy it and you can send us new drugs, which say, they say for compassionate use only. It's, it's a big waste of, of drugs which are expensive. And instead of using them, you're throwing them away because of some you know, purely bureaucratic uh, complications uh, in our case. And and the last thing, which I think is, is very important, is to give the physicians and the patients more freedom to decide what is the best treatment and, um, uh, and to allow them to have more treatment options. Uh, because I'm 100% sure there are many physicians in the UK who work on some clinical trials and they see that the drug works and they would be interested to have it as a compassionate use, but they know how complicated it is to have it. So sometimes they're not even bothered to ask because they know it takes a long time, it's very complicated and it's additional cost for the company and they might not agree at the end to do it. Uh, and um, by streamlining the process, we can give access to many patients with rare diseases who have no treatment options. Yes, they might not benefit 100% uh, all of them from the treatment, but at least that gives them an option. There's something that they can consider and decide if they want to do or not. And um, I think this is uh, really important uh, considering you know how many um, people we have with some rare diseases that have no treatment at all. So that's uh, uh, that's the the biggest pain I wanted to <laughs> to share with you about the, the compassionate access program, and I really hope that this improves in the future and um, um, uh, more of our patients can benefit from uh, from uh, these drugs which are in development and have uh, showed a promising effect. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>